All right. Hello, my name is Lore. The Old Testament reading is found in Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Debbie. The New Testament reading is found in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17. This is because the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the signal of a shout by the head angel and a blast on God's trumpet. First, those who are dead in Christ will rise. Then we who are living and still around will be taken up together with them in the clouds to meet with the Lord in the air. That way, we will always be with the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hi, my name is Colleen. If you're able, please stand for the gospel reading found in Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. After Jesus said this, he continued on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As Jesus came to Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he gave two disciples a task. He said, go into the village over there. When you enter it, you will find tied up there a colt that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying it? Just say, its master needs it. Those who had been sent found it exactly as he had said. As they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, its master needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their clothes on the colt, and lifted Jesus onto it. As Jesus rode along... They spread their clothes on the road. As Jesus approached the road leading down from the Mount of Olives, the whole throng of his disciples began rejoicing. They praised God with a loud voice because of all the mighty things they had seen. They said, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heavens. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, scold your disciples, tell them to stop. He answered, I tell you, if they were silent, the stones would shout. The gospel of the Lord. Praise be to the Lord yeah, remain standing as we open up with prayer. Holy Spirit, would you open our minds to understand, open our hearts to believe, open your word to instruct, and let us be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I have a seat? Well, good morning, everybody. My name's Aaron. I'm one of the worship pastors here. I get to serve on the team here. And as Jason and Glenn are both on sabbatical, you are really scraping the bottom of the barrel this morning. Uh, But I'm very excited, actually, to get to hang out with you. Uh, Two weeks ago today, uh, I left this stage after worship and headed west with two of my younger sons to start a 10-day road trip slash camping adventure expedition. And we have four sons, my wife and I, two of them are in college. We've got a junior at Georgia, sophomore at Auburn, and then a sophomore in high school and uh, an eighth grader here in Monument. And so our older kids are working in California all summer. And so I was like, well, I'll take the younger kids on a road trip and we'll go and we'll see the boys and it'll be super fun. So we left here two weeks ago today and we drove to Moab. We set up camp that night, six hours west of here, and it was hot as Hades. And my little 13-year-old Lynn was like, that was the most miserable night of my entire life. But the next day we got to mountain bike around Moab. We got to see some really cool stuff. Really, really fun. 
Uh, we drive to Zion National Park after that, another six hours or so. That next morning, we got to hike the Narrows. If any of you have ever done that before, it's kind of an incredible thing. It's, I mean, it's one of the top hikes in the world, right? Zion is one of the most incredible places I've ever seen. And just seeing the, the different topographies, seeing these stones and these mountains just rising straight off the path. It's like uh, the Great White Throne is one of the famous mountains there. It's called America's Masterpiece. This, it's the largest piece of single sandstone in the world. 2,400 feet, it just shoots straight up out of the, out of the ground. It's an incredible thing. Seeing all these different places with the kids was really fun. We made a lot of good memories. And when you, when you get to hike the Narrows, you're, you're hiking up this slot canyon. And there's a river that runs through it, the Colorado River. And depending on the, you know, the weather, you could be up to your ankles. You could be up to your waist. You could be up to your neck. It's a really cool thing. And as we're going hiking up this river, we probably hiked a couple miles up, you know. Um, everywhere that there was like a little, you know, a little cave in the rocks or a little slit in the stone, my little guy Lennon, he was like, oh, I want to, can I go climb in that? I was like, sure, go for it. So he has to like hop in every little nook and cranny. And we had the best time. He said after that, he was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever done. It's like, all right, we started with the strike against us with the hottest night of his life, but we got a good memory out of it. We left there and we went uh, to Lake Tahoe and then we drove all the way up to Northern California, Etna, California, to see um, our kids' bigger brothers, our oldest two sons, Cooper and Judah. They're working all summer as camp, like camp counselors, river guides, that kind of stuff, at this camp called the J.H. Ranch. And it's a special place to Megan and I because this is a place that we worked when we were college students. You, you volunteer all summer and you get to pour into high school students, middle school students, and even like parent-child, father-son, father-daughter, mother-son, mother-daughter. That was the place for me, 1998, so 24 years ago, that was the place where I fell in love with God. It was the place where God went from being right to being good. In my story, Megan and I both worked out there. It's the place where God told Megan we were going to get married. 22 22 years later, we're still married. And it's amazing to see our kids working out there now. We were able to hike some incredible mountains, just take in incredible beauty. And there's something about seeing that kind of majesty. Isn't there? It does something to you. I mean, every single person is affected and drawn to that transcendent. Whether you're standing at the shores of an ocean or looking down from the top of a mountain, there's something about it that it's almost like the rocks are crying out something. It's like something deep in you can sense that. It's, it's, uh, it's subconscious, but it's Um, It's no less significant. And it makes me think of this line from C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory. If you've seen this before, you'll know what I'm talking about. But it's it's where he says, we don't want to merely see beauty. We want something else that can hardly be put into words. To be united with the beauty we see. To pass into it. To receive it into ourselves. To bathe in it. To become part of it. It's like, it's, it's why when you see the ocean, you, you want to go be in it. Or if, if you're my wife, you just kind of want to go sit beside it. She's not really looking to go get in it. He goes on, at present, we're on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door. We discern the freshness and the purity of the morning, but they don't make us fresh and pure. We cannot mingle with the splendors we see, but all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we will get in. 
I love C.S. Lewis' approach to beauties is when you see something like that, the reason that you're so drawn to experience it, to take it in, to be like one with it is because you were wired to. You were made to. And one day you'll experience the fullness of that unity with beauty itself. And there's a lot of things going on in this story that we just heard from our gospel reading this morning of Jesus riding into Jerusalem. Lots of stuff going on. Um, but one of the things that's going on is that. It's like the most beautiful life that's ever lived is coming into town and everyone in the town is coming out drawn. Something instinctual and irrepressible, something deep in them just starts shouting praise. And they don't all understand what's going on. Actually, they're really misinformed about what's going on. They think Jesus is coming in to overthrow the legions of Rome. They have no idea. He's coming to overthrow the legions of hell. He's going to overthrow death itself. Hatred, injustice, cruelty, barbarism, dominance. He's undoing all of it. They don't know that. But something deep in them does know. Here comes the king. And in those times, if a king was coming to town, a note would go to the town and the town would come out to greet the king. They would come out and they would make a royal parade for the king to come into the city. That's what's going on there. It's actually what's going on in the um, New Testament reading from this morning as well about when Jesus comes in his fullness at his next coming. We will meet him in the air. Now, I grew up in independent like Baptist fundamentalism. So I thought like that meant we're all going to get go up to meet Jesus and then get raptured and go into some other space dimension. You know, <laughs> now I'm like, oh, I see. We're doing the same thing that they were. We will meet him in the air to bring him to his kingdom. And he's going to make all things new. Of course, he's going to restore all creation. That's what's happening in this story on Palm Sunday. There's something deep in the people that's just responding to him. Now, if this were Palm Sunday, we'd drill a lot more down on that Hosanna cry that they, they shout out from Psalm 118. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They start waving palm branches. This goes from just being a nice little welcome party to a royal parade. They're waving palm branches, a symbol of their country. There's, there's not a mighty war horse for Jesus to ride in on. You know, like a, a good emblem of a good conqueror would be a, a big stallion and a sword. But Jesus comes in on a donkey? Actually, a baby donkey? I wonder if the thing could barely even support him. He doesn't have a saddle. He's got garments. It's not even his donkey. He has to borrow it. He has to borrow their garments. They're throwing down. Their, it's like they're making a red carpet for him. That, the procession shows that it's about royalty. And then the, everything else shows this, there's crazy humility actually here. And in this story, there are prophecies being fulfilled in the Old Testament that otherwise would have been unimaginable to see how they could have been fulfilled. The Old Testament reading from this morning, Zechariah 9.9. Let me read to you again what it said. Oh, I don't have it there. I have it here. Rejoice greatly, Zion. Shout, Jerusalem. Look, your king comes to you righteous and victorious. Now, they would have loved that. Let's stop it right there. Great, the king's coming, righteous and victorious. We've been oppressed for all this time, and the king's coming, righteous and victorious. We're about to get victory? Nice. And then it says, same sentence, lowly and riding on a donkey. Oh, no on a colt, the foal of it, on a baby donkey. This is not going to look like what we thought. He borrows the donkey, borrows the clothes. 
This is a penniless prince coming into town. Most unusual thing. I love this. The kingdom is not marked by dominance and hubris, but gentleness and peace. This is what Jesus is showing. This is the way he's going to conquer. Through gentleness, through peace. People are waving palm branches, not swords. I I think about Psalm 45. It's a really interesting psalm. It's actually written to uh, Ahab and Jezebel for their wedding, which is really weird. There's weird psalms in there. But in verse 4, there's this really interesting verse. It's prophetic. It says, In your majesty, ride on victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness. What? <laughs> truth and meekness? Like, would you ever de- describe a military parade as, wow, look at the meekness? No, you're trying to show dominance, strength. But it says, ride on, king, for the cause of truth and meekness. He's showing us there's a different kind of kingdom. It's going to look very different than what they thought and probably what we think too. And in that crowd, in that moment, what you see is like what you always see when Jesus is moving. You see faithful followers celebrating. You see ignorant enthusiasts just getting caught up in the crowd. And you see hostile antagonists too. Because just a couple days later, the crowd, whether it's this crowd or a different one or a mix of the two, they're shouting not Hosanna anymore, come save they're, shout, they're shouting, crucify him. Like before those palm branches have even dried out, the cry of the crowd has changed. We can see the fickleness of crowds and of emotion and just simple feelings. So at the end of the parade, Jesus stops and he weeps over the city. Second time he weeps. He wept at the tomb of Lazarus, remember? But, but here he weeps over the city because he sees something that the people don't see. They, they think it's supposed to go down one way. We're going to overthrow Rome the old-fashioned way. But Jesus can see what they don't. He can see the sad fate of that beautiful city. How within 40 years, all the cobblestones would be slippery with blood. The walls would be breached with rotting corpses all over the town. And the entire city would be blackened in ruins because they didn't understand the things that make for peace. People don't know that. They don't see any of that. They just know something in them is drawn to this king. And they're they're crying out. Now, remember, it's Passover, Jerusalem. Everyone would travel there at that time. Three million people approximately are in that town. And it's a little bit volatile politically. It's like a powder keg. And so the people are shouting, here comes the king. Hosanna, this is the one. And so the religious leaders are like, you guys better shut up. And they tell Jesus, quiet them down. And he says, and here's the line, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna pull this thread out today. He says, I tell you, if they are silent, the stones will cry out. Inanimate creation understands better than these religious leaders. Creation is ready itself to take up a song. And so I want to just ask, like, well, what do stones have to sing about? And what would we learn if we listened to the song of the stone? Because you might think, yeah, rocks aren't really smart, you know. What do they have to say? Maybe you've heard the expression, dumb as a box of rocks. And what I want to tell you is it's not about how smart they are. It's about how old they are. They've been around. 
They've seen some things. Like if we could go into the desert between Egypt and Israel, we'd find a stone from Exodus 17. And the people were dying of thirst. It's a wilderness. It's, it's, a, it's a barren land. People are thirsty. And Moses speaks to a rock. And out of this stone comes a river of, of rushing fresh water to save the people. If we could go find that stone and say, what do, what do you know? You got a song to sing? What's your song? I think it could tell us, I don't know everything, but I know this. I know about a God who can provide life-saving water and a sun-scorched desert. I know that. That stone, that's the song of that stone. It could tell us about a God who can satisfy your deepest cravings and your deepest thirsts. A God who can provide for every need that you have, even in a way that doesn't seem imaginable. There's stones in Joshua chapter four when Israel was going through the Red, not, sorry, not the Red Sea, through the Jordan River. And they're about to step into Canaan, into the promised land to begin their conquest. And the Jordan River parts. And God says, take stones, pile them on one another as a memorial for what I've done here. The water's parted. It was at flood stages, it says. That's a big deal. It's like class three rapids coming through there. A lot of times Jordan River is like this little stream you can go get baptized in. Not when it's flooding. You baptize, you're going to like need a rescue rope pretty soon. And that's what's going on. The rivers part, they walk through and they set up a pile of stones to remind themselves that, oh, God always has a way to make a way when there seems to be no way. God knows how to do that. God is a God who keeps his promises. God is a God who leads his people into abundance out of slavery. See, if we could find those stones, they could tell us about that. Just two chapters later, we could go walk through uh, Israel and, and find where Jericho is. Jericho's beautiful. It looks like Hawaii. And that fortified city where the walls just burst for miles, we could go pick up some of those stones and say, what have you seen? What do you know? And I think that stone could tell us, any of those stones, about a God who can take down any wall that's against you or any wall that's within you. God knows how to give victory in places like that. I think those stones could tell us some stuff we might need to hear about a God who can overcome any opposition and give victory to those who don't have any feasible chance whatsoever. We could go to Daniel chapter six, where Daniel's going to be thrown into this den with lions. Remember that? He won't bow down. And so he's thrown into this den. And listen to what it says in Daniel chapter six, verse 16. So the king gave the order. They threw Daniel into the lion's den, verse 17, and a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. That stone doesn't know much, but it does know about a God who can shut the mouths of lions. A God who can shut the mouths of any adversary. See what I mean? A God who, whose ways are higher than our ways. You could go find some river stones. And actually there would be five of these you could pick up where David would bend down and he'd pick up these five stones. He's going to go fight against this, this Goliath character who's got four brothers. So David had five stones. And it's just a simple little stone, but I think it could tell us a profound truth that you've never faced a giant bigger than what God can deliver you from. 
that no matter how long you've been like paralyzed by fear and intimidation, God can give you deliverance from that. Are y'all with me this morning? I feel like this is really good. And you're all just like sitting there like, I don't know. This is good. And you need to, look, the reason this is all important because we need to remember what we have forgotten. That God has moved in powerful ways. And I'm just trying to go, look, if the rocks know it, how about us? We need to remember and be reminded. It's one of the reasons we gather every Sunday so that we can remind ourselves and remind one another, he's done great things. That's what we just sang. And we're asking God, awaken an anthem in us. We don't want to forget what you've done. How many times does Israel forget? And they forgot the works of the Lord. They have incredible encounters with God. And then it says, and they forgot the works of the Lord. See, the stones don't forget. We do. There's, there's limestone all around the Judean wilderness. And in Luke chapter four, if you remember, uh, Jesus is baptized in Luke chapter three. Holy Spirit comes on him. And then he goes into the desert and he fasts for 40 days. And if you're fasting for 40 days, you're getting really, really hungry. And in that desert, when the sun goes down at the right time, all that limestone lights up and looks like fresh baked bread. And actually the enemy would come and Satan would tempt Jesus to turn the stones into bread. Remember that? And those stones could tell us, I've actually seen a God who has all power and doesn't use it to satisfy his own appetites. I've seen a God who knows what it's like to be hungry. I can tell you about a God who knows what it's like to be frail and to struggle with appetites and to be needy. Or John chapter eight, there's a woman who's caught in the act of adultery. Now where the guy is, I don't know. It kind of takes two to tango. It's kind of, there's a little dubious about this setup in this story. They throw this woman at the feet of Jesus and they all have their stones. They're ready. The law says, hey, if this happens, you get to stone her. Now again, who knows where the guy went? There's injustice isn't anything new. And so they're ready and they say, the law says we stone this woman. What do you say? And Jesus, he starts scribbling in the sand. I don't know what he wrote. I can't wait to ask him. But I wonder if he writes lust, greed, pride. He just starts scribbling. And one by one, the stones all start falling. And that woman who has her head down in shame she looks up and Jesus says, he says to all the people, he goes, all right, let him who is without sin throw the first stone. They all walk away. Stones all over the ground. And he goes, where are your accusers? And she says, there are none. And he says, and now neither do I condemn you. Go sin no more. Guys, there was one person in that seen who could have thrown a stone and he doesn't the stones would tell you about a God who well what second Corinthians 5 said God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not 
counting their sins against them. Do you know how good that news is? God was in Christ reconciling the world, not counting their sins against them. That's what those stones would tell us, that this God, you might think you know this God. This, if you think God is a condemning God, you don't get God yet. That's what that stone would tell you. Because he could have, but that's not his nature. That's not what he's like. And I love that Paul sings the song of that stone. In Mark 14, there's a guy, we might call him Rocky. His name's Simon Peter. And Jesus calls him, he, he changes his name from Simon to Peter, which means rock. And in Mark 14, he denies Jesus three different times. If we could talk to old Peter, the rock of the church, I think we'd hear him say, Look, it doesn't matter how many times you've failed Jesus. He's never failed you. It doesn't matter how ashamed of yourself you are for your past. Jesus is able to actually restore that to significance and purpose. I think that that Peter, that rock would tell us no matter how far you've fallen, God is not done with your story. I think Peter, the rock, he could tell us about that. There's a whole quarry of stone. In Matthew 27, called Golgotha, where they would cut stone to use for building. If we could pick up one of those stones of Golgotha, I think you'd say, I don't know much, but I, I do know this. That apparently God would rather die for his enemies than kill them. Apparently, what I've seen, this rock might say, is I've seen a God who loves everybody more than you love anybody. I've seen a God who loves the worst people in his world more than you love the best people in your world. That's what, I, that's what I've seen about God. See why we need to hear that song today? When our nation is as politically divided and everything is as volatile and tense as it is, do you see how important it is that we hear the song of that stone? It says, you love your enemies. And this is when you get to do it. It's easy to say, I love my enemies when I don't have any. But when half the country feels like my enemy, now it's like rubber meets the road. Do you love your enemies or do you hate them? See, we can say all kind of stuff. But then once it gets real, it's like, yeesh. now this is getting tricky. It's getting really hard. And there's another stone that a week after Jesus enters Jerusalem, there's one more stone. It weighs about two tons. And it's going to be rolled in front of a tomb to guarantee that this would-be king stays in that stone grave. And if we could interview that stone or hear its song, it doesn't know a lot, but it, it knows, oh, not even death can stop this God. They could tell us that this God is not just, he, he's not just good and the maker of all things. He's the resurrection and the life itself. That stone would tell us death is just another day and endless life. We get, if we could ask that stone. See, I, I just want you to think about the song of the stone. 
because the stones have something to say because they've been around and they've seen some things. Here's a question for us. What have you seen? How about you? What do you have to say? What does your life say about God? Like, what have you seen? Because a lot of times in church, it can get all abstract and real uh, generic. And we can just sing, God is so good. He's so good. He's so good to me. But I think the onlooking world's like, how? What do you mean? Tell me, where was he so good to you? And until we know and we can answer that and say, this is where God was good to me. This is where I saw it. I think it's all just too, it's all too safe. It's not compelling. But if you will take account for what God has done in your story, that's incontrovertible, that you just know this is true. And see, here's why it's so important that I keep saying, what have you seen? I'm not asking, what do you think? A lot of Christianity today, especially with social media, is all about what you think, what I think. Well, I think this. Well, I think this. Well, I don't like you. I don't like you much either. See, what you think can change like shifting sand, especially if you have a little bout with some mental unwellness. See, you can think everything is up and to the right and then wait till depression comes knocking on your door. All of a sudden, if everything's based around what you think, that's like a crystal cathedral. The whole thing can come down in a moment, but that's what you think. What you've seen, that's a firm foundation. See, there's all kinds of, my mind, my brain, your mind, you can go through all kinds of different thoughts. Like, and hopefully we're constantly thinking new things and growing more and more into the fullness of Christ. Hopefully that's the case. But what you think can change from day to day, month to month, year to year. My question is, what have you seen? Because when what you think fails you, what you have seen will not. Because there's all, I mean, I'm telling you, seminary, I'm 43. The older I get, the less I'm sure about what I think. Sometimes I'm like, is any of this even real? Like, I don't know about this. I definitely don't know how to address that. That issue is real complicated. I don't know what the Bible means when it says this and how that reconciles with the person. There's a lot that I just don't understand. And it's really important when you get to that part, you're like, I don't know what I think about this. You can go back to, but what do I know? What have I seen? What have I seen? What have you seen? What does your life say? See, it's because you're moving from your reasoning to God's revelation. Your reasoning can fail you. Reasoning is what threw the world actually into a a pretty big mess. The enemy was like, did God really say that? Let's just, let's think about it. Is that really what God, see, as soon as you start I'm going to build my life on reasoning versus revelation. You're on shifting sand. This is the invitation. It's it's in Matthew 16 where Jesus is like, who do people say that I am? Some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some have reasoned that you're Jeremiah. And, And Jesus says, Simon Peter, who do you say? He says, you're the Christ. And Jesus says, you're blessed because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. This was revealed to you by the Father. See, revelation is a solid rock where reasoning can fail you. And when you come to a church like New Life Downtown, we've got like brilliant, brilliant leaders. 
right? Like I read their books, I listen to them. I'm like, you guys are incredible. It could be tempting for you to come in here for weeks, months, or even years and go, yeah, I, I don't know enough about the Bible yet. Like I listen to these guys, I, I don't know. I'm not like that. I'm not that smart, you know? These guys are really freaking smart. And the thing is, we're not asking you to come and learn a thousand things about the Bible so you can go and debate the people you work with. That, that's not the goal. The goal is, can you look back on your story and see where God was undeniably at work and hang on to that? Can you speak about that? Because a lot of what we speak about these days is what we think. And that's easy to debunk. What's really impossible to debunk is when someone says, I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, now I'm found. I was horribly lonely. I was depressingly isolated, and I was brought into a family. Who can argue with that? There's nothing to argue with. See, if we don't know what we've seen or take account, then we're only speaking about our reasoning all the time. It can be like a clanging gong to the world that's already noisy enough. I think a lot of times theology is like the public swimming pool. Like a lot of the noise is coming from the shallow end. <laughs> but deep down, what have you seen? What have you seen God do? Because that will sustain you. It's why we sing these songs. It's why we write more and more songs, because we will sing of what we've seen. And maybe you're like, God, I've been in a place for months where I've been in lack, and I have not seen God to be a provider. Well, you need to hear someone who can tell a testimony of, God provided for me, here's how it works. I believe that for you too. See what I mean? You're like, chronic pain. I've, I've been needing healing for years. You need to hear someone around you. You might not have that that might not be part of your story yet, but it is someone else's, and this is why we need each other. We're not supposed to go this alone. So can you say, here's what I've seen? And maybe you're like, I haven't even seen anything yet. I don't know. I don't know what I've seen. I'm not even sure what I think about any of this stuff. That's okay. It's a great place to be. I want to encourage you to keep coming. Get involved with Alpha. Take your questions seriously. But take your emotions seriously too. Because you're not a brain on a stick. You got a heart and soul. You got spirit. And there might be something in you that's moving deeply when you hear the people around you singing loudly. Don't ignore that. Why? What is it deep down in you that's stirred by the music or stirred by the beauty of the world or stirred when you hear a story. What is that? Take that as seriously as you take your questions. Because it matters. That stuff matters. Your story matters. So what have you seen? I can tell you just a few things that I've seen. And I can tell you, I've been diagnosed with clinical depression. It happened five years ago. Everything that I thought, <sighs> swirling mess in my head. It all went from, this makes sense, to I don't understand anything. But that's when it's so important to go back to, but what do you know? What have you seen? Not what do you think, not what do you say. What have you seen? 
We've seen God provide. 15 years ago, we, were, we felt led to start a school. We were like, well, where can we do it? God provided a house. Traveled on the road a lot with a band at that time. I was like, I need to bring the guys in the school on the road. God provided a bus. I can't deny that. So if I go through months of like, good grief, like we're not really making ends meet right now. Things are a little tricky, you know, switching careers, all this kind of stuff. Tricky, tricky. I don't know what I think, but what I know is God provided like that, God provided like this, so I still believe God's gonna provide. Make sense? You gotta go back to what you've seen. I've seen God heal. I had chronic knee injuries from playing soccer my whole life. And then all of a sudden, we're in a prayer time, 10 years ago or so, I couldn't run more than a mile without my knees hurting so bad. Guy gets a word of knowledge, he's like, I think, I think God wants to heal someone who's got like this persistent knee injury. It's not a big thing. It's just kind of, it's bothering you. I'm like, that's me, that's me. I went forward, got prayer. I haven't had knee pain since. My wife, sinus pain, incredible sinus pressure. We were in Northern Ireland, about to fly back to the States. If you've ever done an international flight with bad sinus pressure, that's not fun. And so ministry time, Vineyard Church, Causeway Coast Vineyard. I'll never forget they have a ministry time at the end of the service, just like we do every week where we say, if you need prayer for anything, come forward. They say, I think someone's got like sinus pressure. Megan goes forward, she's prayed for, instantly dissipates totally well. Okay, so I, I've got friends who are struggling with chronic illness. I get real frustrated with God. Actually really mad for the sake of my friends. It breaks my heart actually. I'm like, I don't know, I don't know what to do with this, but I do know I've seen God heal, so I'm trusting he's still gonna heal. See what I'm saying? Like, you might not know what you think, you might not know all the answers, but do you remember what you've seen? I've seen God restore families that were absolutely on the rocks to beautiful health. I've seen God deliver. I've seen him deliver people from demonic oppression in front of my eyes. I've seen God like provide a way for our school to continue on when the ground collapsed underneath us in Atlanta. And then God brought us into partnership with New Life Church. Like I've seen God do some incredible things and I can't get too far away from those. Because if I do and I start getting into my thinking, we're in trouble. But if I can just keep going back and go, no, no, I've seen God do this. I've seen, I remember that. How many times does Israel get in trouble because they just keep forgetting? Don't forget. Stones have songs to sing. How about you? Now, we're just about to land this plane, but my last thought would be this. Deep in your soul, you know you've got a song you want to sing. You, you know you've got something to say about God, but up in your head, it can kind of filter it out or it can, it can become a hindrance to that thing coming out. And so here's my invitation for you, even for just today. Just try it today. See, a lot of times like we want to sing, I surrender all, but we know we haven't. And so we don't sing it. We want to say, I love you, Lord, but we know we haven't done that very well either. And so we kind of hold back. And we don't let the song release. We keep it in. We kind of stay bottled up. Here's my invitation. I don't think worship is just for those who have been totally faithful and perfectly pious 
all week. You're the ones that get to come and raise your hands because you've been so surrendered. Like, this is great. If that's you, well done. But I think this is a place of banged up, broken people who really need a savior. And so the invitation isn't just come because you've been so surrendered and raise your hands. It's this, raise your hands because you've been so greedy, but you want to be surrendered. See, don't just come and kneel because you are so humble and you're so meek. Wow, you're such a servant. Like those of you who are that, well done. But those of you who are not, come kneel, not because you're so humble, but because you're so proud, but you want to be humble. Don't let your head keep that song from releasing because it can change you. In the same same way that the wind can change the stone in Zion, the work of the Holy Spirit, the wind of God, can carve and erode and change who you are as you stop trying to block it all and keep it all in. And you might be like, I don't know, things are not really good right now for me. I don't really want to sing hallelujah. It's not where I'm at. Well, My call to worship for you, it's my favorite call to worship ever. It's from the writer Anne Lamont. Two words, she said it like this. Hallelujah anyway. Hallelujah anyway. (laughs) I haven't gotten the healing yet. Hallelujah anyway. Haven't seen the check come through yet. Hallelujah anyway. Our praise and our worship was never supposed to be connected to like how we're doing in life. It's the character and the working of God. We're responding to that. That's the song deep down in you that wants out. Even when circumstances are a total mess, something deep down like the current in a river is calling out to the depths in God and wants to be released. Church, release your song. There's one more stone. It's Revelation chapter two. It's the very end. Band, you guys can come on up. We can get ready for communion. Interesting little verse, Revelation chapter two, verse 17. It's a letter to the Ephesian church and it says, he who has ears, let him hear what the spirit says. To him who overcomes, listen, I will give him a white stone and a new name written on it, which no one knows but he who receives it. I don't understand everything going on in that scene, but it seems like there's something about, at the end, Jesus himself is gonna give you a stone and it's gonna have a new name on it. That's probably your true name, who you've been all along. It's uniquely you, and that's the invitation this morning, is to let your unique story bring glory to Jesus. He doesn't waste anything. No matter how much you've blown it in the past, no matter how deep the valleys have looked, God knows how to raise valleys. And he knows how to turn things around actually for his glory. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the light. Where has he been that for you? We talk about being in the city for the sake of the city. I don't think the city needs to hear a bunch of people reasoning, shouting, yelling, vitriol, belligerence, hostility. I think that what they're looking for is something deeper. 
different kind of kingdom. Gentleness, peace, love, the life of Christ. Which Christ? The Christ turning over the table? I'm ready to turn over some tables. No, that's not what Paul said. First Corinthians 2, 2, he says, when I was with you, I didn't know. I vowed to know nothing except one thing, Christ and Christ crucified. That's all I need to know. Christ crucified. Not accusation and judgment, ready to hurl lightning. Christ crucified. This isn't the posture of God. It's the posture of God. Enemy loving. Others preferring. Self-emptying. That's the kind of Christ we need to be to the world. May it be so in this city.